0: we will be reading verses 10 through 17. On Sunday mornings, we're going through Luke's gospel verse by verse, and we find ourselves in Luke ten or 13, verses 10 through 17. It says, now he was teaching a one in the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman a daughter of abraham whom satan bound for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the sabbath day as he said these things all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him you may be seated father we thank you for your word and we thank you that you have reconciled us uh, to yourself through your son's sacrifice allowing us to have fellowship with you and to have received your holy spirit who We pray would teach us during this time lord it's a great responsibility to bring forth the scriptures as you've allowed me to do this morning but thankfully we can rely even more on the holy spirit for it to bear witness to us and so i pray that each person here would see all of the wonderful truths that are contained in this account i thank you for what jesus did for this woman and the application it has for us we would pray if there's any unbelievers who are here with us that today would be the day of salvation that they would see their need for christ That you would open their hearts to the gospel and grant them repentance and faith uh, that they would leave here differently than they came and for all the believers here lord continue the sanctifying work that your holy spirit does and and that your word does as it is it cleanses us and washes over us and we pray these things in jesus name amen we had a very interesting um week in the lapierre home and i want to begin by asking a question do you want to hear about how johnny was almost beat up by two women at the laundromat or do you want to hear about how Ricky almost burnt down our house? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I don't know if I have time for both of them, but I'll tell you about uh, Ricky almost burning our house down. And if you want to hear about Johnny almost getting beat up, you can ask him. So some years ago, I'd watched a video about a grease fire uh, in a kitchen, and, and it was being narrated by this individual whose face was totally disfigured. Um, and it, clearly, the person sharing about grease fires had been had been burned terribly by one of them. And then there is a video of a grease fire at, uh, beginning on a stove, look, looking fairly small. And then someone throws some, tries to put the grease fire out by throwing some water on it, and it just explodes. And so maybe some of you have seen this before, or, or are aware of this. And I, I actually think when I was an elementary school teacher that's probably one of the things that they would make sure we showed students along with all the other you know fire drills and things earthquake drills how to respond to them stand in a doorway so I remembered it from my days um teaching and just how terrifying it was to watch a grease fire explode like that and so when I uh so some years ago I recognized the importance of my family learning how not to respond to a grease fire by throwing water on it and so i showed them a video probably could have been the very same one that i was familiar with from my days teaching and apparently i probably should have shown this video to my family two times instead of just one or maybe 20 times for that matter so katie and i are downstairs talking i think it was monday morning and she says to me something like it's so wonderful that ricky really loves to cook and he's upstairs right now and he's making this is it called monkey bread Is it monkey bread, is that what it's called? Indian bread, bread. okay, the Indian bread. The same bread that Elizabeth has made at camp, and so I joke, Elizabeth Sumstein. And so we start hearing some screaming from upstairs, and we race upstairs, and the house is full of smoke, and there's a pan that's on the front steps of our house that um, has these flames, and I'm not joking, flames that are stretching above the roof of the house. And so the bread had caught fire, and the, ricky had been um, wise enough to get the pan out of the house and when he brought the pan out of the house and he put it in front on the steps by god's grace that's where it was when raya threw a bunch of water on it to get the to get it to go out had this happened in our house in the kitchen or um then i'm sure it would have been could have been really really um, could have been much worse and so the fire is there on the steps and raya throws this water on it to get it to go out which causes it to explode and uh you know flames everywhere and it gets worse because uh maybe the fire wasn't big enough so Katie took this big bag of flour and she started throwing and she threw this and I got Katie's permission for this so you don't so don't put water on a grease fire don't put flour on a grease fire you can just put a lid on the grease fire to get it to go out and so she throws this flyer fire on it you know or well it was almost like throwing fire on a fire but she throws this flour on it makes the fire get even bigger and by this point, my whole, our whole family is standing outside because there's so much smoke in the house, and we're watching this. Probably some number of our neighbors are watching by this point as well, the big fire. I mean, some of you that live in Longview might have been able to see the, the fire down at our house that morning. So you're wondering how we put the fire out. We decided to use a fire extinguisher. We used the fire extinguisher, got it to go out. Not sure why we didn't think of that first. And so one of the reasons I share this with you, aside from uh, an example of God's grace in our lives, because although we can joke a little bit about it, it could have been really serious had it happened in the house. I'm very thankful that Ricky had gotten the pan out of the house so quickly when it was on fire. Um, But I would just tell you, it is no joke. If you have a grease fire, any of your kids are cooking and they throw water on it, um, it'd be very easy for someone, even if the house doesn't burn down, just to be disfigured by some of that sticking to them and so uh you know just put the lid back on the pan or get a fire extinguisher but make sure that you don't throw anything on it to get it to go out that way and I just wanted to pass it along because I thought just kind of sharing this video with my family was enough but um, I should have stressed it to them even more and as a leader of my house that falls on my shoulders for not having prepared my family better so just wanted to share that with my church that I love as well so the title tell this morning sermon is the dangers of legalism and spiritual bondage the dangers of legalism and spiritual bondage to tell you ahead of time we're looking at an account that has two people in bondage we're looking at an account with two people in bondage jesus's ministry by this point it's well underway uh people have been amazed not just at the things that he's been teaching but the things he's been doing and in this morning's verses we're going to see him do something amazing uh, or we can say something that amazes some but then upsets some others go and look with me at verse 10 says now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath and behold there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself so by this point Jesus is beginning to experience an amount of opposition in his ministry but he's still receiving invitations to go to the synagogues and and clearly still accepting those invitations and on this particular Sabbath in this particular synagogue he happens to see a woman who is unable to stand up straight for 18 years and it's attributed to this disabling spirit I read quite a few commentaries they're not all in complete agreement about what exactly this means so I'll just um, let's say play it safe or just keep it to the things that we can tell for sure or that I'm confident in first she's not possessed by this this is not demon possession but second uh, so that's one thing we know and then the second thing even if she's not possessed by a demon we can still see that there was some uh, amount of demonic activity or the demonic realm responsible for what she's experiencing we know that because first we can't imagine uh, when it says a disabling spirit we know that would be another name for a demonic spirit and we know that because we cannot imagine a heavenly or godly angel doing this to someone then second i believe it's in verse 16 where it actually jesus says that she has been bound by satan so we see satan being behind what she's experiencing here beyond that i think anything we might say is is speculative we shouldn't think that all physical problems or even uh, many or most physical problems are caused by demons but there's a sense in which as i said in a previous sermon that all suffering is still the result of sin Not necessarily our own sin although we do sin uh, enough that we could could easily be punished by the lord for it but the the sin of our fathers uh, father and mother adam and eve back in the garden because when sin was introduced that's when suffering was introduced too we're all affected by the fall and it seems like part of god's um, part of the consequence for us is god allowing the devil and his demons to afflict people up to a point aside from this woman who's pretty much the premier example of someone whose suffering we see being a tri- we can easily attribute to the devil himself to job right yes what i really want to focus on toward the beginning of this sermon is this crippled woman worshiping i want to focus on this crippled woman worshiping or let's say worshiping despite what she was experiencing apparently she was a regular worshiper Uh, there doesn't seem to be any indication of people taking special notice of her my suspicion is she'd been frequenting frequenting we're not told otherwise that that she frequented the synagogue regularly and i want to point out three things about her worship that we can learn from Um, she might i was convicted she might shame some of us or maybe many of us myself included regarding reasons we might not worship regularly or reasons we might not come to church and this brings us to lesson one don't be kept from worshiping because of part one suffering don't be kept from worshiping because of part one suffering this woman was not hindered from worship or corporate worship public worship because of her suffering i don't know if any of you can relate to this if you have a few children Uh, sometimes it's sort of difficult to get them ready for church on Sunday are we not the only ones that experience that sometimes yeah so sometimes I can feel a little frustrated by how difficult it is to get all of our children ready for church on Sunday Uh, I'm guessing whatever difficulties we've had as a family though they pale in comparison to the difficulties that this woman experienced getting ready for church Um, just getting around uh, making it to worship no no I don't know how far away she would have lived but just traveling to The synagogue like this all the pain that she probably experienced Um, if you've ever had i kind of look at this woman and her back issues and i hesitate to even want to compare some of the lower back issues i've had with what this woman is experiencing but if you have ever had back trouble before you know how difficult simple tasks become i've it's been um, about 10 months since my lower back went out and over that time I have forgotten or I've begun to take for granted many of the things that um, I definitely was not taking for granted when my back had went out such as standing up such as walking comfortably since such as um, you know sitting down or even tying your shoes and so there's so many things that because of the health that most of us experience we take for granted and as soon as you have uh, back issues and if you've ever if you've ever had any before you recognize how many things you would love to be able to do as easily or comfortably as you were able to do before you don't sleep well when your back is hurting you every time you move it wakes you up you can barely dress yourself every movement of your body is painful you're too exhausted just thinking about leaving the house or thinking about going somewhere is too exhausted there was one point when my back was out when Katie had driven me to the clinic and we went to the wrong clinic. And so I'd gotten out of the car, I'd walked into the clinic, because Katie just put, put me in front, and then she went and walked, parked the car so I wouldn't have to walk any further. I went into the clinic, and I know this is going to sound dramatic, but when I learned that I was at the wrong clinic, it was just, like, devastating to think that I had walked all the way, gotten out of the car, walked all the way in here, and would have to go back to the car and then go to a different clinic. In fact, standing up and sitting down was so painful, we just decided actually to walk to the next clinic, because that felt better than standing and sitting and I'm just saying this because that's what I was thinking about with this woman making her way to the synagogue and all the suffering that she experienced all the very uh, legitimately seeming reasons she could have stayed home and, a, and avoided worship uh, I there's no mention of any family with her or a husband or children or anyone assisting her I mean the last thing that I wanted to do when my back was hurt was get out of bed say nothing about get out of bed and then try to travel somewhere but that's what we see this woman doing um, i'm sure the synagogue had no handicap access i doubt that there were any rails that were going to make it easier for her walking around or for her, her to hold on to um, there's no special seating for her there was nothing that was going to make it more comfortable i i don't think that the the pews had nice cushions on them um, i suspect it was a very uncomfortable environment for her to be in as hard as it was though here she was Uh, mingling with all of these other worshipers without any expectation that she was going to be healed this day and this is one of the things about her that really stood out to me was how would you describe the quality of her physical life what do you think the quality of her physical life was like i suspect it was very poor i suspect it was very poor what does it look like the quality of her spiritual life was like could have been very good, very wonderful. She could have been a joyful woman. She could have been thankful. Could have been filled with gratitude for some of the blessings she had. Regardless of what she experienced physically, her focus was spiritual. I'm that one more time. Regardless of what she was experiencing physically, her focus was spiritual. So she could have went, and here's what's interesting. As I thought of her being hunched over and I read about some of the um, I'll share some quotes later about what her life was like she really did just have to walk around looking down all the time like this she couldn't stand up straight she'd spent her life looking down at this life at this earth she had a very downward view but in a sense she had a very what view upward or heavenly view she wasn't staring at this life she wasn't just thinking about all she was going through here she had her focus on the Lord She was intent on worshiping she was going to um, still give the the lord the glory and the praise that he deserved now we live in a fallen world illness uh, injury sickness infirmity are all things that are going to affect the physical quality of our lives but they don't have to affect our worship all the things that affect us physically do not have to affect us spiritually no matter what we're suffering physically we don't have to suffer similarly spiritually speaking this woman teaches us we can enjoy a spiritual quality of life regardless of any physical circumstances we're forced to deal with the next part of lesson one don't be kept from worshiping because of part two shame don't be kept from worshiping because of part two shame do me a favor and look you don't have to turn well unless it's on it but the previous page we look at the beginning of this chapter with me those verses you probably remember them uh we read them just we studied them just a few weeks ago in verse 2 there were some Galileans who were murdered by Pilate and Jesus knew that the people were thinking what about those people who had been murdered come on you guys can respond that they were sinners, that they were worse than everyone else, and that that's why they had been murdered. In verse 4, the Tower of Salome falls, and Jesus can tell that the people believe that the people who were killed by the tower were worse sinners than everyone else who lived. It's pretty similar to John chapter 9. You don't have to turn there, but there's the man who's born blind, and what did the disciples ask Jesus? Who sinned? Did this man sin or did his parents sin that he was born blind but we know this if there is suffering in any form then there must be sin behind it there's no way that someone could suffer except that they had sinned and introduced that suffering into their lives that was the thinking of the day which jesus was combating at different times i mention that because if this woman has been suffering terribly for 18 years and the thinking of the day is suffering is associated with sinfulness what do you think not what do you think the people thought about her what do you think this woman thought people thought about her what do you think this woman thought people thought about her when she walked around she had to know that everyone who looked at her thought she was a terrible person she knew that everyone that saw her crippled decrepit walk associated that with the sinfulness of her life and that she had been a terribly ungodly person to have to experience something like this listen to this quote from Adam Clark he said her situation was equally painful and humiliating the violence of which she could not support and the shame of which she could not conceal now that's kind of interesting isn't it because we think of shame associated with doing something really bad we don't think like if you saw someone who was blind or deaf or handicapped you know missing an arm or missing a leg you wouldn't look at them and look down on them and expect them to uh, feel some shame but in jesus's day because of people's view adam clark recognized that this woman was walking around humiliated that there was shame that she could not conceal and she had to live with that that thought of what people thought about her i'm sure people stared at her people whispered about her she had to see people staring at her she had to see people whispering about her but she still continued to what yeah she still continued to worship she still continued to make her way to the synagogue and this is important because what kind of stood out to me is shame is actually one of the most common reasons people don't go to church shame is one of the most common reasons people don't worship corporately they feel shame because of what other people think about them they're going I, if i go to church people will look at me differently you know i'm not like them they probably know some of the things that i've done they're they're familiar. they know details of my life some of the mistakes that i've made they're going to think bad things about me now one of the things i've noticed as i've gotten to know people better is almost everyone to some extent feels this way i'm not exaggerating almost every single person to some extent feels this way, feels that they don't fit in, feels that people don't like them, feels that people are against them, feels that they're different. I've had people that I would have thought, for lack of a better way to say it, are some of the more popular or well-liked people in the church, tell me that they feel like they don't fit in or that they feel uncomfortable. And I don't just mean at our church, I mean at at any church. It's just something that the flesh, that the devil want to convince us of to cause us to experience some shame. But one of the things we see from this woman she should encourage all of us to go to church not worry about what other people think the next part of lesson one don't be kept from worshiping because of part three bitterness because of bitterness now i told you earlier i read some commentaries that really helped me appreciate this woman's situation because one of the things the bible does um, or doesn't do is at least in in my opinion is it doesn't always give all the details that I might like there are just times that I wish God elaborated a little bit more I know the Bible's already large and it's perfect and it's exactly the way God wants it to be but there are just some times when I wish we got a little more details about situations and this is one of those it just says that she's been over for 18 years because of a disabling spirit kind of read through that really quickly not sure how I've never taught on this passage before not sure how many times I've read it in my life but this week really digging into it made me appreciate just how difficult this woman's circumstances were so listen to these two commentaries uh uh, two men who described what it was like for her Charles Spurgeon said for 18 years she had not gazed upon the Sun for 18 years no star of night had gladdened her eye her face was drawn downward toward the dust all the light of her life was dim she walked about as if she were searching for a grave and i do not doubt she often felt that it would have been gladness to have found one kent Hughes said she lived in a posture of forced humility her face was always turned toward the dust of the earth unless she wrenched herself sideways and peered upward like an awkward animal She seemed to sink lower and lower as the weight of the years pressed upon her. Her gait was a lunging shuffle. She walked about as if she were searching for a grave. And I mention that because who would it be really easy for her to be angry at? She could have been very easy with God. It would have been very easy for her to be angry at God, bitter with him, but she was still faithful to continue worshiping there's no if she was if she had any bitterness or she had to wrestle with it all there's no hint of it in this account so I definitely do not want to apply it to her she seems to be a woman who uh, there's no no other indication in Scripture than who had a heart for the Lord because the thinking of the day was that if people are suffering God is upset with them then it would be very easy for her to think that God was upset with her and so I guess I could say it like this she could feel shame because of what she thought people thought about her but she could also feel shame because of what she thought god thought about her i think that's a very common temptation for all of us when we suffer or experience loss to think that god must be upset with us he must i must have done something wrong he must be mad at me he must not love me he must think i'm terrible We could even think god won't want me to go to church because i'm too bad but any of these doubts or questions this woman seems to have pushed those out of her mind and the other thing is do you suspect that she had probably i mean if she's clearly a a worshipful woman a, a spiritual woman more than likely she'd prayed maybe countless times for some help she had a condition that it seems probably just worse and most of the stuff I read when they discussed it medically had to do with her the uh, being a degenerative issue where the vertebrae in her back were fusing together where her condition just got worse and worse she'd be bent over and in more pain the longer that she lived and so here she is just praying for comfort praying to be alleviated of what she's experiencing and instead it just seems like things keep getting worse and worse for her God had not answered her yet but she didn't allow this to make her bitter or resentful and it makes me wonder if I had a debilitating condition for 18 years how would I feel about that would I go to church would I worship the Lord would I give him thanks would I possibly become bitter or resentful and this woman she just sets a great example that discourages all of us from being bitter or resentful toward God when we're experiencing suffering that perhaps we think is is unfair or undeserved I want to conclude this lesson by asking you to think about this i mentioned job earlier and this woman interestingly shares some similarities with him Uh, first most obviously they both suffered considerably second their suffering was attributed to the devil in both of these cases the devil seemed to have been behind it third there's an issue of shame you can tell that as much as she could have felt ashamed you definitely had Job's friends trying to cause him to feel shame about some supposed amount of sin in his life but then the fourth thing that this woman has in common with Job which is what I think uh, is the most instructive for us and was one of the most encouraging and challenging parts for me personally is that just like Job she continued to worship who remembers after that first day, messenger after messenger coming to Job, relaying all the horrible news, and then what does it say he did? Job 120, he arose, he tore, tore his robe, this sign of grief. It's not to say that Job didn't grieve. He shaved his head, another sign of grief. And then it says, he fell on the ground and worshiped. And so this woman, just like Job, is a great example for us of worshiping when we suffer. And I, I'll be the first to say, when we're suffering those are that's a time we probably do not feel like worshiping when we're suffering the last thing we might feel like doing is worshiping because we might feel upset with god about what's happening in our lives or what we're experiencing but i would say this when we're suffering that's one of the most important times for us to worship because i really believe that when we're suffering if we try to draw near to the lord that's the only way or the best way that we're going to be able to make it what we're experiencing to to press as hebrew says to press into the throne room of god to receive the grace and mercy that our that our high priest can give us and so when we're suffering what we might feel least like doing worshiping is is one of the things that we should most feel inclined to do to make it through that that we're experiencing now look at verse 12 <clears throat> when jesus saw her he called her over and he said to her woman you are freed from your disability and he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God and I think I like that she glorified God but I like that she glorified God um, even more when considering what we've been discussing that she glorified God before she was healed I mean it's nice she glorified God when she was healed but who can't who wouldn't glorify God after they've been healed miraculously like this I guess there's actually some people that wouldn't remember when Jesus healed 10 lepers and wouldn't you think that if someone was healed of leprosy that they would give glory to God and Jesus noticed that nine of them didn't and so I can't even say that people always give glory to God when they are healed or he does bless them I'm sure there's been plenty of blessings in my life that I have overlooked and not glorified God or given him the thanks he deserves for them but in this case I will just say this I like that she glorified God after she was healed but I really like that she was glorifying God before she was healed and there's every indication that if she had not been healed this day then she would have been back at the synagogue the following Sabbath and would have continued worshiping the Lord you know throughout the rest of her life she glorified God the Father and that's kind of interesting notice it doesn't say that she glorified Jesus it's interesting because Jesus is God the Son is the one who performed the miracle but she still glorified God the Father and to me it's Jesus setting a good example for us of what he taught that when we do something good who should be glorified for it I mean even Jesus did this Jesus told us Matthew 5 16 let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven we, we would never draw attention to ourselves but Jesus himself even modeled that he's performing miracles and we're seeing glory being given to God the Father instead of him Cory Ten Boom she used to tell this story <clears throat> maybe some of you have heard it before about this uh, proud woodpecker uh, who's pecking away at this tree for some period of time and then the storm rolls in and the woodpecker keeps working until this bolt of lightning comes down and strikes the tree and just shatters the tree into all of these splinters while the woodpecker is sitting there pecking it and then the woodpecker flies away and he goes and tells his friends you are not going to believe what i just did and aren't we kind of like that like something happens clearly not uh, our responsibility but we want to go and act like it is and we shouldn't seek to have any attention drawn to ourselves i mean even when something you know good is done through us it's really just what god has chosen to graciously do through us we would do well to just follow jesus's example here where we see that even in his earthly ministry he allows the the glory to be given to his father notice something interesting in the account that the woman didn't come to jesus for help it stands out somewhat from most of the other healings in the Gospels where people are calling out to Jesus pursuing him to be healed but Jesus went into the synagogue this day he saw her and he's the one that reached out to her it says when Jesus saw her he called her over and he said to her so he calls out to her he speaks of miraculous word of healing to her he compassionately lays his hands on her And even regarding jesus laying his hands on her did he have to do that no he definitely didn't our minds you don't have to turn there but take your mind back to the roman centurion in luke 7 and he had a servant that he wanted to see healed and so jesus is going to head to this servant and the roman centurion recognizes the shame that this is going to bring on jesus to have to go into his home And so the roman centurion says you don't need to you don't need to do this i have enough confidence in you that should you just say the word then my servant shall be healed and that's exactly what happened and so jesus could heal from any distance away without ever seeing the individual and so whenever you do see jesus there's no randomness associated with his behavior or his actions he didn't make mistakes and not touch people when he should or make mistakes and touch people when he shouldn't There's always a reason behind it and here to me it's it's a beautiful example of his tenderness toward this woman he reaches out to her he lays his hands on her and spurgeon said he could have called to her from a distance and said be healed but he did not for he wished to show his special sympathy with such a sad case of suffering and what's interesting is if jesus had healed her from a distance it might it would not have been as obvious perhaps it would have gone she could have been unrecognized by some people if she just happened to stand up straight on her own but by going to her laying his hands on her her straightening up right at that moment him calling out to her speaking the word of healing it was very the healing couldn't be missed then there's a possibility it could have been done privately but by jesus doing it this way there was no way that it would be missed by anyone in attendance Uh, including the synagogue ruler and so it just seems to me that Jesus did not mind at all that this was going to end up upsetting him and causing problems Jesus described her disability as a like there was a post you want to picture and she's tied to it and he declares that she's going to be freed from this post that she's been bound to throughout her life that's the way this infirmity is described that she's finally loosed from it that that she's released from this that, that she's been bound to now we look at what Jesus did for her physically and it would be wrong to think that we could do this for people that we could do this for people physically we don't have the supernatural healing power that Jesus had that the Apostles had and that a few of the prophets such as such as Elijah and Elisha had in the Old Testament we don't have the the, the ability to heal people physically like they did but I have told you before and so that's why I think there's considerable misunderstanding in the Gospels associated with Jesus's earthly ministry where people would look at the Son of God and believe that that's what God would have us do there are definitely plenty of ways in which Jesus is an example for us but we shouldn't look at him and think that we would be given that same miraculous uh, power that he had but that's not to say that we don't learn from these accounts because many of these uh, accounts of physical healings communicate a spiritual truth or lesson for us i've told you this before so i don't want to spend a lot of time on it but when jesus did things physically it was a picture or type of what he wants to do for people spiritually when jesus raised lazarus from the dead it's a picture of how he wants to spiritually raise us to life when Jesus physically healed deafness or blindness it's a picture of how he wants to help us be able to spiritually see and hear. it's not to say that he wants to raise every dead person to life or that he wants to heal every uh, physically blind or deaf person and there's a spiritual lesson in this account for us as well and this brings us to lesson two we can't free people physically but we can spiritually we can't free people physically but we can spiritually and this lesson isn't as literal as it sounds it's not to say that we could literally heal anyone spiritually and I hope that'll become clear as we talk about the lesson but that's not what I have in view that any of us would actually have the power to heal people spiritually but before I get to that I want you to notice one of the themes in these verses is freedom look in verse 12 when Jesus saw her he called her over he said to her woman you are freed from your disability verse 15 the Lord answered you hypocrites doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie or free his donkey from the manger verse 16 shouldn't this woman a daughter of Abraham who Satan has bound for 18 years be loosed or be freed from this on the Sabbath day and so that's one of the themes freedom we see that throughout this account well we can't give people freedom from their physical suffering they experience but we can give them freedom from spiritual suffering they experience when we preach the gospel to them or let me say it like this what we see what when we see what Jesus did with this woman let's say straightening her out physically by sharing Christ with people by introducing people to Christ we're allowing the opportunity for them to be straightened out spiritually and so to look at this I wouldn't I wouldn't say that the example or way in which Jesus would be our model is that we would go out and we would find every handicapped person or individual with osteoporosis and lay our hands on them and believe that God is going to straighten them out physically but we are going out we are living among lost uh, and spiritually dead people and there are ways that they can be freed from the bondage that they're in a bondage that's even greater than the physical bondage that this woman was experiencing bondage to sin bondage to death bondage from keeping having to keep the law to be saved and by introducing Christ to them we're providing an even greater freedom for them look how the synagogue ruler responded to Jesus's wonderful work verse 14 it says the synagogue ruler indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath he said to the people there are six days in which work ought to be done come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day so let's talk about the synagogue ruler first his responsibility included lining up the readers and the teachers for each gathering kind of like a pastor of a church would be responsible for who does scripture reading or any teaching and by the way we're looking for young men who, were, who would be involved in doing scripture reading and so if you're if you're a young man and you're interested in doing the scripture reading then please stay after service today for the meeting the synagogue ruler would pay attention to what was being taught uh, any of the doctrine and theology he would scrutinize it just like a pastor would any teaching that takes place in his church to ensure that it was uh, biblical or aligned with God's word and he would maintain order to make sure that things were proceeding according um to schedule or to the agenda and that the that the order of service would look the way that it should and maybe things ran smoothly for this synagogue ruler I there's you know in 11 years here most Sundays with a few exceptions have run very smoothly and so perhaps for this synagogue ruler things have went very smoothly for him until this day he sees something that greatly troubles him I mean the word indignant that's how it's translated in the ESV in some Bibles it might say something different it's it's describing the the deep anger that he felt over seeing this woman healed on the Sabbath and so he sees something that he can't stand now Jesus could have healed this woman on any day of the week I mean think about this she'd been bound for 18 painful years but was one more day going to make much difference no Jesus did not have to heal her on the Sabbath like this but he chose the Sabbath and he did this seven other times I think in Luke in the next chapter over Luke 14 we'll see another instance of Jesus healing on the Sabbath and before this we've seen instances of Jesus healing on the Sabbath I read that he performed seven Sabbath miracles seven miracles on the seventh day and I don't know whether this was the case or not but it almost seems like Jesus tried to heal people on the Sabbath If i was to go a little bit further there's definitely more instances of him healing on the sabbath than any other day and if i go a little further it almost seems at times like he was trying to upset people like this synagogue ruler and i believe that jesus chose to heal on the sabbath for two reasons in this case he wanted to heal this woman from her physical bondage but i believe he also wanted to heal the synagogue ruler and some others present from what their spiritual bondage that the legalism introduced into their lives and this brings us to lesson three the synagogue ruler was in greater bondage than the crippled woman the synagogue ruler was in greater bondage than the crippled woman what would the synagogue ruler claim that jesus was was breaking the fourth commandment right which forbid working on the Sabbath but Jesus didn't break any of God's commandments because God never said that people could not heal or could not help on the Sabbath in fact it was expected that the Sabbath dealing with the ceremonial portion of the law healing people or showing mercy dealing with the moral part of the law and that the moral commands would always trump the the ceremonial commands which is why David could go into the temple and he could eat what what could the priest give him showbread that he actually wasn't supposed to eat so he could this is an amazing account David could break the law so the priest could keep the law or the priest could help David break the law so the priest could keep the law because in breaking the ceremonial portion of the law forbidding The consumption of that showbread they were actually able to keep the moral part of the law which dealt with mercy and compassion if they did not give david that bread they would have kept the ceremonial portion which is lighter and they would have violated the heavier or weightier portion of the law which was moral in nature and so there was no reason to think that you couldn't help people uh, or show compassion or mercy on the sabbath and so what did jesus break exactly if he wasn't breaking god's law well he was breaking their traditions that they had passed down that they had over centuries that they had added to God's law some of those fences as we've talked about the idea is there's a law you don't want to break so you put a fence around it but then to prevent people from getting close to that fence you put another fence around it and then you get fences that go out so far that people can no longer see God's law they're so far removed from it they don't even remember what it says and now these fences have become the law and that's what they don't want to touch or that's what they want to keep or stay away from and so this made the Sabbath something that was supposed to be a blessing a terribly crushing burden people would dread the Sabbath because of how difficult it was to keep it (laughs) the day that was meant to provide rest was the most um, painful day for people because of how all of the legalism had ruined it from introducing the peace and rest that God desired now You can see how important these traditions were you say well did they really take the traditions that uh, were they really that important yeah the traditions were that were that important and you see a really good example here with the synagogue ruler regarding how angry it says indignant he was over one of these traditions being broken and as i studied this account this week and i thought about this woman so here's kind of what was in my mind i'm I'm developing this familiarity with this woman's life and how excruciating it was and terrible and then just to imagine what that was like for 18 years that she has suffered with this and then this one day she goes into the sabbath and jesus just so beautifully so wonderfully delivers her from the from this pain i mean it's just encouraging to think about it's just refreshing to consider to have been able to have watched something like that and and the blessing would be just to see that occur it's refreshing you know to to, just to read the account and, and picture that happening and then you contrast that with how angry this synagogue ruler was and it's almost shocking you almost can't believe that Jesus could do something so loving and so beautiful and this man could be so upset about it it shows you what kind of bondage this man was in right interestingly who did the man scold who did the synagogue ruler scold who did he not rebuke he didn't rebuke jesus he scolded the congregation now sometimes when we are really angry we end up saying things that don't make sense because we're not we're speaking too quickly there's a reason that um, you know being quick to listen slow to speak slow to anger go together because if we're slow to anger and we're quick to 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 listen then we and we're slow to speak we won't end up saying things we shouldn't say but when we're really angry and we're talking really quickly when there's many words there's sin and so this man is so angry so he starts saying all these things that don't really make sense that he clearly had not thought through very well and he tells the people hey you guys need to bring your sick people on another day of the week to be healed as though what as though they could actually bring their sick people on another day of the week to be healed right if people did bring their sick on another day to heal them who's going to heal them apparently the synagogue ruler hadn't done a very good job of healing people because this woman had been afflicted for 18 years and so it's evident that they couldn't bring their sick on another day to be healed the synagogue ruler didn't have that power nobody else had that power except for the apostles. This disabled woman would have continued to suffer even if she came back on another day and it's hard to believe that something so beautiful could be so upsetting to the synagogue ruler but it shows the kind of bondage that he was in a bondage that was worse than the crippled woman's bondage Adam Clark said it would seem as if the demon who had left the woman had gone into the synagogue ruler's heart earlier i said that freedom is one of the themes in this account Uh, one of the other themes is bondage you've got this woman now her bondage is more obvious or evident to us i say bondage is a theme and immediately you say yep this woman she's in this bondage she's been bound by satan jesus is going to to free her Uh, he talks about untying or loosing an animal so we see freedom weaved through these verses um but bondage is one of the other themes we see not just through this woman but also through this synagogue ruler her physical bondage but his spiritual bondage to his legalism and if you want to see how terrible legalism is look at jesus's response in verse 15. the lord answered him and he said you hypocrites doesn't each of you on the sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it and ought not this woman a daughter of Abraham whom Satan bound for 18 years shouldn't she be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day so what something you see with Jesus now if we get angry it could be sinful anger unjustified have you ever noticed Jesus can turn very quickly from compassion to anger it's almost like a switch can be flipped with him and what we know is that it's always a switch that should be flipped he doesn't need to be rebuked he wasn't wrong for it he doesn't need to repent it was a justifiable anger and i and this is one of those accounts i just see how does jesus look up to this point very compassionate kind merciful toward this woman and healing her calling her over laying his hands on her but then this the switch is flipped the compassion is gone the gentleness is gone all of it changed with the synagogue rulers legalism he rebukes him because he valued his legalistic commands more than this woman's health and comfort now even though jesus responded to the synagogue ruler notice the words hypocrites plural and notice jesus said each of you which shows that he was talking to more than just the synagogue ruler now my sis why do you think jesus would say this beyond just to the synagogue ruler because he knew what was in men's hearts John 2 24 he knew all men and he knew that there were other people there that day who were probably thinking the same thing who needed to be I mean Jesus isn't going to call someone a hypocrite unless they need to be called a hypocrite he isn't going to rebuke people about them untying their animals unless they unless they're hypocrites who need to be rebuked who would untie their animals but then would not want to help this woman because it's the Sabbath so he rebukes all these people because he must have known that it was in their hearts as well his argument is simple but it's convincing he argues from the lesser to the greater he basically says if you would do this for an animal why would you not do this for a woman if God permits people to help their thirsty animals on the Sabbath wouldn't he care even more about helping a needy person and Jesus gave several compelling reasons why it was more appropriate to help her than to help a distressed animal obviously there's an animal that's not in the image of God and if you would help that how much more should you help a human being that is in the image of God he points that out he points out that she's a woman and because she's a woman and not a man she's worthy of greater care she's afflicted or another like in the language of first Peter 3 7 a weaker vessel that should be shown a tenderness uh, not um, that would be on what would be shown to a man she's afflicted for 18 years which is long enough he points that out to suffer greatly and expect Christ's compassion. She is the daughter of Abraham, he points that out, which means she's a Jewish woman, she's part of the covenant people of God. Anna says she's bound by Satan. And by delivering this woman from Satan, he is I, or I would say it like this. Is there a is there any day that's not a good day to deliver someone from Satan? <laughs> and so Jesus's point is you don't just deliver people from Satan or have a victory over Satan on only the sabbath any day is a good day for that to set captives free from the devil look at the people's response in verse 17. as he said these things all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him and so it seems to have been obvious to everyone present including the synagogue ruler himself that jesus's enemies were wrong and jesus did exactly what he was supposed to do or exactly what was right or proper and then when the people recognized this then they all rejoiced over what he not only rejoiced over what he did and rejoiced over what he said in rebuking the people seeing what jesus did in this count it should encourage us or cause us to rejoice as well I want to conclude by getting an elevated view and asking you to consider what we see here so we see this woman who's in physical bondage and Jesus delivers her from it we see a synagogue ruler who's in spiritual bondage and Jesus rebukes him for it we see the synagogue ruler's spiritual bondage is even worse than the crippled woman's physical bondage when we consider what the physical woman when when we consider what the crippled woman did and the synagogue ruler didn't do The, the woman's physical bondage it only affected her body but the synagogue ruler's legalism affected what affected his heart affected his mind affected his soul despite her physical bondage she was still able to worship she was able to have joy she was able to love others but the synagogue ruler his legalism or his his spiritual bondage it destroyed his joy you see all of his anger here it prevented him from loving others and worst of all it ruined his relationship with the Lord and that's what legalism does legalism destroys spiritual lives legalism keeps us in a bondage legalism prevents us from having a relationship with christ it it feel, fills us it's interesting it fills us with pride and it fills us with despair because you feel pride associated with doing certain things and you feel despair associated with not doing things as well as you should if you've ever bound, been bound up in a legalistic system before which was my life for the first 20 some years it's really it it almost sounds hard to believe but there is a collision of both pride and despair pride associated with the ritualistic religious activity and works you've engaged in but then despair associated with knowing that you're not doing everything as well as you have to but Christ sets us free from that and how does he do that or why does he do that because when you're in Christ you know that you don't need to keep the law perfectly to be saved you know that you're no longer in bondage to the penalty of sin because christ has freed you from it and this freedom can only come from christ it can never come from any sort of religious system galatians 5:1, for freedom christ has set us free stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery or a yoke of legalism so what does jesus free us from he frees us from having to keep the law to be saved He frees us from bondage to sin. We can't help but sin when we are not in Christ. But then according to Romans 6, we are dead to sin. And we're freed from bondage to eternal punishment in the lake of fire. That is the bondage, the worst bondage that every single person outside of Christ is being tied to. If that woman was tied to a post, the post that every single unbeliever is tied to is the lake of fire. But when we are in Christ, we have been freed from that. Now, if you have any questions about anything I've share this morning if there's any ways that i can pray for you i'll be up front after service and i consider it a privilege to speak with you father we thank you for this account and the wonderful ways that jesus uh, worked in her life and ministered to the people there jesus's actions were even very loving to the synagogue ruler as he tried to open his eyes in, in that rebuke hopefully although it's not recorded in scripture the synagogue ruler maybe maybe others present repented following jesus's rebuke how wonderful that would be lord and so help us to learn to learn from this account we thank you for the freedom we have from christ the way he delivers us from bondage spiritually speaking and even if we're in some sort of physical bondage and suffering we can still be free spiritually to to love others to worship you to be saved from any sort of legalism because of what jesus has done for us lord we thank you for these things and ask them in his name amen